Welcome to In The Know, a podcast hosted by Caitlin Dager and Samara Delmenico, where we take a deep dive into the boring stuff to bridge the gap between the law and young people. In other words, giving you your legally blonde moment. I object. Hello and welcome to the show, our second episode for 2021. On today's show, we will be tackling a topic that Caitlin is quite <laughs> familiar with herself as a self-confessed Zoomer. It's Zoom Zoom! All you need to know about driving laws. We take you through what you can be fined for, how you can be fined, and who to go to if you find yourself in hot water. And just to clarify, being a Zoomer doesn't mean I break the driving laws. It just means I have to speed up quicker than the average person. (laughs) And the associated road rage. (laughs) Zoom! How has your week been? I have, again, been spending so many days down at the beach, and Mm -hmm. I actually have gotten to the point, as someone who is very, very pale-skinned throughout all of the year, I'm getting to a point where I actually have a tan. Like, Mm. people have been commenting that I have a tan. Mm. And I think if that's... That that basically sums up my week. That was my highlight. Yeah. Well, we're actually recording this together from the beach and we're feeling very zen and I even have a little bit of a tan I think it could be sunburned it's absolutely burned when I take my watch off there is a line we'll we'll post it on the insta stories and see what (laughs) see what the people see what you guys think we're feeling very summery very zen we might fall asleep halfway through this episode but we'll just see how we go (laughs) okay back to driving then why and what are we talking about today? Most people in our demographic, we figured, probably have cars and probably drive around on a daily basis. And I was thinking, if anyone's like me, they probably haven't brushed up on their driving laws since the day that they did their L's test yeah, at actually. age 16. I poured through that. I actually failed my L's test. I didn't know that. Mm, mm-hmm. I got 100%. No. <laughs> I failed, and it was basically the first thing I had ever failed at in my whole life, and I remember it so vividly. I was so ashamed of myself that I walked home crying. That's, <laughs> that's not really funny. That's quite sad. No, it is quite sad. But Poor I, like, cried baby. the whole way home. And I, mum was like, I'll come pick you up, and I was like, no, I need some time to think. Reevaluate who you are as a human. Yeah, but I passed. I actually studied the next time, and I passed with fine colours. And I got my so you just on cocky the first. The first time. I was just cocky the right, first time, gotcha. and I got my P's the first go. And it just, it just really humbled me a bit. I think I at, just, at age sixteen. I remember year twelve, how people would have free periods in the morning, and they would go and take their. Lunch take their license test but yeah. you wouldn't tell anyone just yes. in case you were to fail and people would come back and be like the walk of shame or dangling the keys yeah. and you'd know yeah you would know what they did God. um actually a little bit of a, a fun fact here that's <laughs> not at all law related i one have never got a speeding ticket so clearly that studying for my l's test really helped me I've never got any fine, actually. The humble. No, you have got fines. I've got a parking fine. Yeah, that counts as a fine. Okay, but only a parking fine, nothing else. No driving offences. Same. <laughs> <laughs> How many deparent points have you got left? No, I have points now because I've moved on to my full licence. You had not many. Yeah, I got really close <laughs> for a while. Anyways. But because I'm from New South Wales and I got my P's at 17, I've been driving on my own since 2012, which means that I got my full license before <laughs> little baby Caitlin even got her L plates. Yeah, in 20, 2012, I was <laughs> 13 going on 14. Yeah. <laughs> and I was 17 driving ah! around in my little car. <laughs> That's 
That's kind of scary. Yeah, I know. I know. I feel a bit violated by that fact. <laughs> wow. Sad stories of me crying after failing my L's test aside. And me being a child when you're a fully adult. <laughs> and you also getting a million speeding <laughs> fines. <laughs> Into the boring stuff today. Before we get into the episode, just a quick disclaimer. In the No podcast and affiliated content are for information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any matter. For the full disclaimer and further information, please refer to our show notes. We are going to talk about three main topics. We're going to talk about speeding, using your mobile phone while operating a vehicle, and what you have to do if you get into an accident. All right, all right, all right. Okay, right into it. As you can probably imagine, the laws around driving offences are pretty lengthy. The Road Safety Act 1986 for Victoria is our main piece of legislation, along with the accompanying Road Safety Road Rules 2017. Just the act on its own is a whopping 898 pages long, and it's on its 203rd version. That basically means that they've made changes to it 203 times. So, like everything we've talked about to this point and probably mm-hmm. into the foreseeable yeah. future, it is long, confusing, and mostly boring, but that's what we're here for. We sift through the boring to get to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sure that we can talk about the myriad of other driving offences that they, there are. I think probably drink driving can just be one on its own. A red light camera <laughs> for you. Talking about parking fines even, which is slightly a different jurisdiction but still related. Random tidbit from me here that I thought was quite funny. Ride-on mowers and golf buggies can actually be subject to the exact same road rules as motor vehicles if they are being used for a purpose other than their manufactured intent. So basically, if you're driving a a motorised lawnmower on the road, it has all the same road rules as a car. Wow. There you go. There you have it. Yep. So don't go 50 in a 40 zone on your ride-on mower. I don't even know if they go that fast. (laughs) (laughs) So the most common driving offences include if you're involved in a car accident, going over the speed limit, careless and dangerous driving, including hoon driving, driving if you've been drinking or using drugs, driving without a license or while it's suspended, and other minor traffic offences. Like we said earlier, for the purposes of today's episode, we will talk about just three of these areas, speeding, mobile phone and technology use, and crash responsibilities. We'll also briefly touch on what happens if you have to go to court. Okay, on to the first topic then, speeding. Something Samara seems to think by the notes (laughs) I have in front of me, I am very well acquainted with, but I'm not. Speed demon might have popped up one or two times. (laughs) So the road rules around speeding are contained in rules 20 to 25 of the road safety road rules and part 6 capital A and schedule 5 of the road safety act. Oof. Mm. They include things like obeying the speed limit, setting the limit for schools and shared zones, as well as penalties if you disobey. Drivers can both be fined or receive demerit points if they are caught travelling over the speed limit. For excessive speeding, which is 25 Mm kilometres or above, you may face harsher penalties like licence cancellation or suspension and vehicle impoundment. One of my... Or a person I know, I won't identify them as closely <laughs> as I was going to, actually got caught going uh, excessively speeding down a road Ooh. and on the spot his vehicle got impounded. Really? Yeah, on the spot? Yeah. And then he messaged me and was like, hi, um, help please. And I was like, 
honey, I, I can't dig you out of your, out of your grave. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Zoom! We'll go in now just quickly into default speed limits, which I don't know if people do or don't know this yet. I mean, some of them maybe. I didn't know all of these at the mm. time. Mm. So there are two ways that a speed limit can be imposed either by a sign, which is pretty self-explanatory, or by a default speed limit. Basically, signs aren't displayed on all Victorian roads. So where there isn't a sign, the law has put in place a default speed limit, which is always in effect. So this includes stuff like 40 kilometres in a school zone. But, for example, if there wasn't the signs up, you know, the signs we usually have where they say, like, on school days or Mm. between certain hours, if it's just a school zone, there's a school there and they don't have any signs up, 40 at all times, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 40Ks in a shopping strip. This one here I was familiar with from all the ads that they had a couple years back. 50Ks in built-up areas and rural or other metropolitan towns. So that's like if you're driving around a housing estate, you just kind of know that the speed limit is around 50 and and you go. And then 100 kilometres on country roads. Yeah. So in effect, if there's no speed signs, those are the speeds you should refer to. Obviously, it's always best to err on the side of caution. And if you aren't sure, just literally slow down. A fine and demerit points are not worth the risk, let alone risking your life. You're so wise. You're like a miniature Buddha covered in hair. On to penalties. So as you guys have probably gathered over the years, there's a graduated penalty kind of scheme scheme for speeding. The faster you go, the bigger the penalty. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's two broad sets of penalties for speeding offences. One for vehicles under 4.5 tonnes, so motorbikes and cars, and one for vehicles over 4.5 tonnes, like trucks and buses. So they actually fall into different kind of categories then. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk today about the under 4.5 tonne penalties, so your cars, motorbikes, light vehicles type thing because obviously that's what most of us drive so if you exceed the speed limit by less than 10 kilometers an hour you will be up for a 207 dollar fine and one demerit point between 10 and 24 kilometers then pushes you up into a 330 dollar fine and three demerit points And then we move on to the category of excessive speeding, which is that speeding which exceeds the speed limit by 25 kilometres per hour or more. So these are the bigger fines, the automatic licence suspension, or you may even end up in court with your vehicle impounded, like my friend. Mm. It ranges from for 25 to 29 kilometres over the limit, a $454 fine and three months suspension, two for over 45 kilometres per hour and... Above. above, a $826 fine and 12-month suspension. So yeah, big. pretty crazy. Yeah. So that's all detailed on the Vic Roads website. They have a really handy table that lists the amount of speed you're over, the demerit points, and if there's any license suspension. So then there's also this kind of added category on top for excessive speeding where if you do end up in court for a speeding offence, mm-hmm. what, what does that entail? What does that mean? So most traffic offences are heard in the magistrate's court and are a criminal offence. So if you're found guilty, you may actually end up with a criminal record and quite serious penalties. Yeah. If you're in a situation where you think you may go to court, you should always, always, always obtain formal legal advice 
even if you intend on representing yourself. It can be really complicated. It can be scary. Certain formalities that you won't know that you do need to adhere by, things mm-hmm. like that. So Legal Aid is always a great starting point for that. Yes, and their website has some really, really fantastic information. information. Yeah! As we were saying, with excessive speed, that might end up with you going to court. Excessive speeding is also if you drive over 130 kilometers per hour. So think about the freeways that are 110. If you get pinged going 130, even though that isn't necessarily 25 kilometers over, you can still be charged with excessive speeding. And then whether you're guilty or not of the offense depends on the exact facts and circumstances of your case. Like every criminal case, or every case really, the prosecution has to prove that you were driving the car and doing so over the speed limit. However, for driving offences, this is usually pretty straightforward and the evidence against you is usually quite robust, which Mm -hmm. is why we always recommend legal advice is a really great starting point to see if there's any nuances to your situation that may help you either get off completely Mm -hmm. or mitigate the circumstances of your offence. So that is quite a nice segue, thank you, to the possible defences. So... You may have a defence if you had to speed for reasons like uh, an emergency, for example, if someone was critically ill in your car. Think about all the pregnant women probably driving to the (laughs) hospital. And the magistrate will decide if your reason is good enough. You might also have a defence if you did not speed voluntarily, for example, if you had a seizure. Just note there that Samara keeps saying might, so it's not in every instance Mm -hmm. that if you're driving someone who's pregnant or someone who's about, I don't know, about to have a heart attack, that... That maybe in one case it may fall into a category where you get off, but a magistrate in another case may decide it's not enough. So, mm-hmm. And that is exactly why you need legal assistance. Yes. If you were not the driver of the car, you need to provide the name and the address of the person who who was driving. For example, I know quite a few younger people, when they first get their Mm. license, they'll be driving a parent's car for a period of time. And if you end up speeding or you get a fine whilst in your parent's car because it's registered under their name, the fine comes to them. them. And there's a little part at the end of the kind of fine or notice where you can fill out details and transfer it to someone else. Mm. And so in a sense, that is kind of a technical defence because the person who was initially charged was not actually the driver of the vehicle. Mm. But obviously, the fine still passes on to the person who was. Yes. So to touch on what we were talking about before about the evidence against a person who has been speeding, the law assumes that speed detectors are accurate. So if you want to argue that the detector was inaccurate, you have to have evidence to show that it was broken or improperly operated. So you would need an expert to explain this. Yeah, so this is a situation where we haven't touched on this before, but there's certain presumptions in the law Mm -hmm. that you have to actually rebut the presumption in order to argue that that's not the case. So the Mm -hmm. prosecution wouldn't have to argue in this instance that the the speed speed detectors were accurate. Mm. But you could, going against that presumption that exists in the law, say that that's not in fact the case, which Mm. is why you need that expert evidence to prove Mm. that. But you would need strong, overwhelming evidence to prove that. It's also not a defence to say that you were running late for work or that your speedo was broken. It's not a defence to say that you didn't know the speed limit because there were no signs, because of course... Default speed. Default speed limits. Slow down. Hey, Mother Samara. (laughs) Another thing that's to be taken into account if you do decide to go to court is to think about what you are actually going to say when you go to court. So I don't know whether many people have gone to the magistrate's court and just sat in and seen how it happens, but it's a little bit less formal than the other courts. And so often the magistrate will ask questions. Mm -hmm. Why did you speed? What 
you know, circumstances should I consider when I'm making my decision? So Legal Aid gives a really great list of some things you should think about when you come and are faced with those questions by Mm. the magistrate. And that's stuff like talking about the circumstances of your offence, like Samara touched on, your reaction to the charge, your driving record. So if you have a really great driving record, that's Mm. a really good point to Mm emphasise. Reasons for wanting to keep your licence, your financial situation or personal details, and any other supporting documents like a character reference, say from someone you work with or a friend who talks about your good driving character and your character as as an individual. Mm -hmm. So as we said, a magistrate can take these factors into account when deciding which penalty to impose. But it's important to remember that a magistrate cannot change the amount of demerit points that you get for an offence. And while the magistrate may let you keep your licence in some instances, for excessive speeding offences, the magistrate must suspend your licence for a minimum period of time as we ran through before. So an example where a magistrate might suspend a licence is if someone has 25 speeding fines, but they're all between 10 and 15 kilometres. On their 25 fifth, the magistrate might make the decision to suspend the licence, even if that's not necessarily the automatic penalty that comes to mind. Oh my God. Oh my God. The magistrate might also choose to make that time longer, depending on the details of the case. So that's just a minimum. Yeah. So that's probably a good point to make too here. So for example, if you want to talk about reasons for speeding and you know it's not a legitimate reason, perhaps just don't mention it Mm. unless the magistrate directly asks for it, because that could be a situation where you're not showing remorse. And if you Mm. sped for a silly reason, you're not a responsible driver. And the magistrate could very easily use that amongst other evidence, Mm -hmm. of course. Against you. Yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. So the magistrate may also give other penalties, like placing someone on a undertaking to behave well for a certain amount of time rather than giving you a fine or impound or mobilize your car if they know you were speeding by 45 kilometers per hour or more, driving by 145 kilometers or more, or involved in a speed trial or a road race. Okay. And when your license is suspended... As the word says, it's suspended. So you're not allowed to drive at all, no exceptions. Mm -hmm. So, for example, things like driving to work or picking up your children, suspension. There's no special licenses that allow you to drive some of the time. If you drive while your license is suspended, there's a very serious penalty, including high fines, further suspensions, and in some instances, it can lead to jail time. Mm. So suspension, no exceptions, you cannot drive. That's it. That's the the end end of the story. This is not legal. Alrighty, let's talk about mobile phones and driving. We all have one. We've all probably checked a message or two that we shouldn't have. Not me. Are you? Yeah. (laughs) Incriminating yourself right now. Oh no. I feel like there's quite a few misconceptions surrounding the law when using your mobile phone and driving. Oh yeah. So for example, how there's different rules to do with P-platers to fully licensed mm-hmm. drivers and hands-free and what means hands-free and what means checking your phone and what is just playing music, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Can you plug your phone into charge if you don't look at it? Exactly. So we're going to kind of run you through the laws around this so you can make a very educated and I mean, it's clear enough. Mm -hmm. choice when driving and using your mobile phone. 
So just quickly, I actually did a assignment in my first year of psychology. Wow. Yes. That was on driver distraction. And it was really interesting. And I did plan on digging it out, but we're at the beach. And so I don't have any of my uni stuff with me. So I haven't dug it out. But from memory, we there was actually quite a few interesting studies that show that a driver can be more distracted speaking on their mobile phone than they can with a passenger in the car. And this is because, think about it, if you have a passenger in your car and you're coming up to a really busy roundabout, usually the passenger will see the traffic conditions around you and start to shut up a little bit or moderate the conversation so that you can pay attention. Some people even turn down the radio if they're in the car on their own, if they don't have a passenger because you can control the environment around you. When you're on the phone, the person on the phone doesn't have the benefit of knowing that you're coming up to a busy roundabout and probably are just going to keep blabbing on about their day while you're madly trying to figure out whether or not you can go. So most of the studies actually suggested that people on telephone calls are more distracted than people with the stimulus in their car. And I just thought that was really interesting. It is quite interesting. I wouldn't have thought that was the case, but it makes sense now that you've explained it. So thank you for that fun tidbit. Yes. Also, interestingly enough, while we're talking statistics, research shows that drivers who use a mobile phone while driving are four times, four times more likely to cause a fatal road accident. Texting, browsing, and emailing increase the risk of a crash up to 10 times. You're really becoming the, like, the the authority in this instance, telling all the, the kids to be careful and not to worry throughout yeah. this episode. I drive like a genuine grandma. You do. So. It's true. It actually really infuriates me. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Free shavakadoo. Now, onto the law in Australia. Covered by Rule 299 and 300 of the Road Safety Rules 2017, we, like we said, very lengthy. It goes all the way up to 400 with five schedules and appendices to the rules with extra information. Anyways, it is illegal in all Australian states and territories to use a handheld mobile phone while driving. This includes talking, texting, playing games, taking photos and videos, or using literally your phone in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, it is also illegal to use a handheld mobile phone when your vehicle is stationary but not parked. So, when you're stopped at the traffic lights or when you're paying with Apple Pay... In the Macca's drive-thru. In the Macca's drive-thru. That is illegal every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you put your car in park temporarily. So if I pull, if I pull up to the window, put my car in park, and then use my phone to pay, would that be okay? You would have to ask a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Roasted. Drivers who break these laws face an on-the-spot fine of around $484 and will incur up to Four demerit points. That's rough. Four. That's a lot. Yeah. And the maximum penalty for this one is 10 penalty units, which equates to $1,652.20. As Caitlin said earlier, there are some differences in the rules between full licensed drivers, learners, and P-plates. So... Learner and P-plate drivers are not permitted to use a handheld or hands-free mobile phone at all while driving. So if you have Apple CarPlay or you have Bluetooth in your car, whatever mm-hmm. it is, when you're on your P's or a learner, you actually cannot use that service. Mm-hmm. Uh, very nice. 
let's go on to more info about these learners, P1 and P2 drivers. So that's just the two types of P plates, your reds and your greens. Mm -hmm. As we said, these classes of drivers must not use a mobile phone in any way, shape or form or for any sort of function while driving, including while stationary but not parked. And it's probably pretty important to remember too that all probationary drivers who reach five demerit points may incur a license suspension. So four demerit points out of five doesn't leave you with much wriggle room. That's what happened to me when I got my red light and then my speeding so Mm. close together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was quite stressful. I was very good for a very long time. Mm. And then fully licensed car drivers fall into a different category where they can actually use a phone to make or receive phone calls or to use audio and music functions. That is probably a good thing to note here too, that those probationary licensed drivers, technically if you're using Bluetooth to play music, Mm. that's still using your phone while driving and Mm -hmm. that's actually not allowed. Yep. This includes stuff like navigation, so GPS stuff, or intelligent highway vehicle systems, which is that vehicle warning system that you get in the newer cars where Mm. they tell you if you're going too far over the limit or if a camera's coming or something. Mm. None of that is allowed for for probationary drivers, but allowed for fully licensed car drivers. So these can only function if the phone is secured in a commercially designed holder fixed to the vehicle or can be operated by the driver without touching any part of the phone and that the phone is not resting on any part of the driver's body. And then all other functions, which include video calls, texting, emails, task management, photography, social media, (laughs) shopping, and share economy apps. What's a share economy (laughs) app? Anyways, they're all prohibited. You don't pick the damn phone up no more when you hear the phone ring. Next in line for our car drivers are the use of wireless hands-free devices or an earpiece connected to a device via a cord. So you can use a wireless device or other hands-free devices, including earbuds or headphones connected via a cord, to make or receive calls, listen to music, or use a GPS. However, you need to make sure that you're not holding the device in your hand or touching your phone. So you probably have to have quite long earphones to be able to do that. Or I guess you can use your AirPods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think it would be really difficult, though, to have your AirPods in listening to music and still being aware of the sounds around you. Yeah, yeah. It would be more isolating, wouldn't it? Mm. But it's allowed, so... Ring-a-ding-ding, baby. Now, let's talk about smartwatches. If you know Caitlin and I in person, (laughs) we are absolutely obsessed with our watch. We have to finish this episode in the next 10 minutes so that we can get our 1 o'clock stand goals. Otherwise, we will not close our rings today. But Apple Watches, can you use them in your car? When a smartwatch is worn by a driver, it actually should not be used while driving for making or receiving phone calls, navigation, music, text or video messaging. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Text or video messaging, email, social media, and those sorts of communications can't be undertaken whether or not a smartwatch is worn by a driver. But... Fully licensed drivers may still use a smartwatch, provided it's not worn. So you can use it as a driver's aid, for example, as a navigation device, a music player, or mobile phone to make or receive phone calls. So to use our Apple Watches in the car, mm. it would actually have to be off our body. Yes, and we and would not be able somewhere. to touch it. Yep. And it would ha- yeah, have to be secured properly. Yeah. It's not something I'm prepared to do, so I probably just yeah, won't use can't my take watch it while driving. put it back on. Interestingly enough, you can actually be pinged for this not under the same part of legislation that deals with mobile phones, but under a separate section that deals with failing to have proper control of the vehicle. So this is rule 297 of those road rules that we were talking about. This rule also deals with having 
having an unrestrained animal on your lap. So <gasps> sorry to my poor little baby dog, Norman, no more joyrides on my lap. But I just thought that it was interesting that that section that deals with not having animals also deals with not using your smartphones, even the smartwatches, even though your smartwatch is kind of like a mobile phone on your wrist. Mm. Mm. I guess legislation's weird. I don't really have yeah. an explanation for that. Yeah. But, I mean, failing to have proper control of the vehicle deals with also things like changing the radio station, changing the aircon, eating. So it's kind of a catch-all, I guess. And yeah. smartwatches came in far after the legislation <laughs> came in and they probably so they didn't want to make, what, a 230th <laughs> amendment to the act. Yeah. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Finally, we're going to talk about navigation devices and GPS units in vehicles. A navigation device, including a GPS, can be in operation, but it must be an integrated part of the vehicle design or secured in a commercially designed holder. So, for example, the GPS is the stick up on the window. Mm -hmm. And a driver is required to have proper control of the vehicle the entering of address information in a GPS while the vehicle is moving would then be contrary to this rule. So an address should only be entered while the vehicle is pulled over and in park. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, also, all learner and probationary car and rider license holders can actually operate a navigation device if it meets the above requirements and is not part or able to function as a mobile phone. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought all navigation was banned for P-platers and learners, but there you go. Yep. So you can know where you're going, but you can't talk to anyone. Will you do it? And you can't use your mobile phone to know where you're going, right? Exactly. Navigating. Finally, before we move on to your crush responsibilities, we thought it'd be fun to talk about riders of bikes or animals. Yes. I just thought it was really funny talking about riding on an animal. That's like a horse. So yeah. it's not that weird. I just, I just imagined it like, I don't know, a polar bear or something. What? So okay. using a mobile phone is prohibited when riding on a bike or an animal or a wheeled recreational device. So like a Segway. So it's similar to driving a car. You cannot use a mobile phone except to make or receive a phone call or use music if it is secured in a commercially designed holder fixed to the vehicle. I don't know how you would fix a phone to a horse. And <laughs> whether or not it can be operated. Or a polar bear for that matter. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> Or if it can be operated by the rider without touching any part of the phone and the phone is not resting on any part of the rider's body but can be in a pocket. So yeah. if you're listening to your earbuds on your polar bear and your phone is tucked away safely in your pocket, I think you're probably right. There was so much wrong with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing to note here when talking about riders of polar bears and other animals or bikes <laughs> is that using a phone as a navigational device or GPS while riding is prohibited unless it's secured to that commercially designed holder fixed to the vehicle or your polar bear. And all other functions like those video calls and texting and email are prohibited. So very similar to cars. Bow, bow. The penalty is a fine of $496. However, demerit points do not apply because as far as I know, you do not need a license to ride a polar bear. And that's cool. That's that's cool. Okie dokie. Moving on to crash responsibilities. Coming to the tail end of this episode. Yeah, I think common sense and morals probably tell us that we should stop if we're involved in a crash, no matter how minor. But what actually are your obligations as a driver? Just to give you a quick summary of what you need to do if you are in a crash, 
you must stop immediately, get help to any injured person, common sense stuff, provide your name, address, registration number and vehicle owner's name to others involved in the crash or their representatives or to the police if they are present at the scene. If anyone is injured and the police are not at the crash, you must report the crash to the nearest open police station. And if there is any property damage and the owner or police are not there, you must report the crash to the nearest open police station. So those hidden one runs, my mm-hmm. brother has had so many, poor guy. When mm-hmm. he first got his license, he used to park his car right in front of our house, residential street, standard. Yeah. It's No one else has been hit recently. And he both his cars got ridden off because someone smashed into the back and just kept driving. Mm. And him and my dad went scouring the streets of where I live. I was about to say my suburb, but I'm not <laughs> going to do that. And they could not find the vehicle. Mm, I remember when I had my first car, I was absolutely devastated because I just came back to it one day and someone had... I, I went into the post office. I was in there for about Oh, 45 seconds and in that space someone had hit my car and my bumper fell off Gosh. so I had to pull my bumper into the back of the car and drive home while crazily telling my dad that someone had hit my car that's so sad but hey the law says that you have to actually report that crash to the nearest police station so mm. all these people have done wrong yeah I mean in more than one way right mm-hmm. so penalties if you're a driver involved in a crash where someone is killed or injured and you do not stop and give assistance. You can be fined over $140,000, be imprisoned for up to 10 years and lose your license for at least two years. So the minimum term is two years. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, give your details, folks. Tell me your name. I mean, if you want to look at the rules in detail, you absolutely can. That's a pretty quick succinct summary of them basically stop give your details do not drive off and report it to the police also get help for anyone injured is probably oh, one yes, of the best absolutely. <laughs> but if you do want to have a look at the rules in a little bit more detail they are contained in the road safety act of 1986 and the key rules and section numbers are six, section 61 duty of a driver of a motor vehicle if an accident occurs and 61a which capital is a. capital a which is the duty of a driver of a vehicle that is not a motor vehicle if an accident occurs so that's uh, yes the polar bears probably your polar bear <laughs> <laughs> we will include all the details and sources from this episode in our show notes you are now in the know thanks for joining us Hooray. if this has brought something up for you please get in touch with the relevant bodies lawyer or legal aid Vic Roads and Legal Aid are very, very good places to start. They're super, super informative. But basically, too long didn't read. Do not speed and obey. Common sense, really. Yep. Don't speed, don't touch your phone, and stop if you get in an accident. Mm-hmm. We are a tiny independent podcast recording this from various locations as we <laughs> live our very busy lives. Your support in getting our names out there is what is going to keep us going. Subscribe on your favourite pod streaming service, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at in the no underscore podcast. Now I am going to go to the beach. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm going to finish work and then go to the beach. <laughs> Bye. Bye.